the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Let me read you a paragraph from a piece in the Wall Street Journal. When the Socratic method is used in place of lecturing, students are forced to trade their passive role in the classroom for an active one in which participation is the primary measure of mastery. Named for Socrates, the ancient Greek philosopher, the Socratic method employs skillful questioning to test the limits of each student's grasp of the material while the instructor and students explore the difficult ideas and concepts together. That is written by Jeremy Tate. He's the founder and CEO of the Classic Learning Test, CLT, a humanities-focused alternative to the SAT and the ACT. Classical learning used to be the norm here in the United States of America, but now we sort of have this just sort of send them through, churn them through, get them out the other side. It kind of reminds me of that scene in A Christmas Story when the kids march up the steps to see Santa they tell him what he, what they want. He throws them in a slide and down they go. Next one up, next one through. That's kind of how kids are being thrown through school these days. And what do we have to show for it? We have achievement gaps. We have kids who just can barely read, can't do math. Is this really what we want for our kids today and for the future? Let's talk to Jeremy Tate about it next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Well, Jeremy Tate, this is the headline in the Wall Street Journal opinion page. Socrates never wrote a term paper. Active participation trumps essays in classical education. Jeremy, you are a big advocate of classical education. First for our audience, what is classical education versus what we're used to these days in public schools? Yeah, Michelle, it's a great question. Uh, sometimes I like to use the raw milk analogy. And so the young, hippie, kind of edgy people, uh, they like to drink like raw organic milk right now. But yeah. really, raw organic milk is just what everyone drank uh, 150 years ago and, and before that until the beginning of time. Classical education, we use that modifier now, classical, to really just describe what education always was until really the beginning of the, t- the, the 20th century. And essentially then what we did is we incorporated uh, a factory model from the Industrial Revolution into school. This is tied to the compulsory education laws as well, and essentially trying to 
mass produce uh, what was always a craft. It, you can't mass produce a craft. Teaching is a craft. Soul forming education is a craft. But what we're seeing right now is a return to classical education. The big difference, Michelle, is the, the telos or the goal or the end. The goal of classical education is fundamentally about character development. Yeah, it's about the cultivation of virtue. The goal of kind of modern mainstream, what I, mainstream, what I would call secular progressive education is what we call college and career readiness. It's very utilitarian focused uh, about the end being gainful employment rather than uh, the formation of the whole hum human person to be moral and trustworthy, uh, to be a person of, of elegance and good character. Okay, when you say a person of elegance, that jumps off at me because a lot of people are going to say, what do you mean a person of elegance? I don't need to be elegant to function in the world. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, and I, I meant to say eloquence there. And, and what we're talking okay. about here, excuse me, yes, uh, you know, writing clearly, speaking clearly, uh, you know, someone who has the moral and the intellectual virtues, intellectual virtues uh, like humility, open-mindedness, uh, and the moral virtues, you know, courage. The, the, a discipline like history, when you think about how this discipline began, it largely began to inspire uh, heroic virtue in uh, the next generation by telling young people the great stories of their ancestors to inspire them to live lives of, of heroic greatness as well. We've completely gotten away from that original goal for, for teaching history. And with that, history majors have tanked. But classical schools are bringing that back. Young children are learning stories of heroes that they can aspire to be like. And it's, it's exciting. So what do you mean? What do you mean now? History majors have taint. What does that mean? History majors. I mean, the, the major that is in free fall more than any other majors uh, over the past 20 years uh, has been the history major. Uh, and I think this is really tied to in some ways uh, history being uh, a new picture uh, of America as kind of the big, bad uh, bully, imperialist. And I'm not trying to say, Michelle, that America doesn't have her sins. We certainly do, as does any other country. Uh, yeah. But that we're not teaching about American exceptionalism, this great idea that we were founded upon. Yeah, I, the, that one is a big concern to me, because we seem to be teaching that everything about America, it, its history was just steeped in white supremacy and racism, and that's it. And instead of all the all the virtue and the courage and the stories of of what it took to separate this country from, you know, the, the, the UK and, and England and Britain, however you want to describe it and just separate ourselves and, and have independence and d determine that this country was going to be a country ruled by the people, not by government. And unfortunately, I think we've gotten away from that just in a practical sense. What, um, it, again, I, I think that there's a, there's going to be some tension in talking about this in that, a lot of people want their kids, they, they want character, absolutely. They want values taught, but they also want their kids to know how to read, how to write, how to add. Um, and so those things almost are factory generated in a way, that, to use your description. Is there any other way to do that? You know, I, I think the, case, the best case for classical education really is in meeting uh, the young people. I spent 10, I, I graduated from public high school. I went public K-12. I worked in a public school for 10 years. And in no way do I want to bash public school students or their families. A lot of great families and students in public schools. But when you tour a classical charter school or a classical Christian school, it's, it's in some ways it's very shocking uh, how these young people carry themselves, how they communicate with their teachers 
how they communicate with one another. Uh, and in some ways, it seems to be absent, I think, from my experience and from many people's experience of mainstream K-12 right now. There are certainly schools that you see, uh, whether it's on a video on TikTok or whether it's in personal experience, where there's a tremendous lack of respect and order and teachers are physically abused by students and there is no repercussion for the student. There are no consequences. So how, how in your estimation, did public schools go so astray in that regard? You know, Michelle, the, the most important book I believe about the change in education uh, that, that has happened is C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man. And so this is now 70 years old, but essentially Lewis was prophetic in this book. He saw what was coming, coming, and he saw that the traditional ends of education, uh, moral formation, the way that Lewis describes it is getting the pupil or the student to conform to reality and in doing so, uh, finding happiness and peace, uh, that we've moved outside of those traditional ends to doing that. And, uh, and I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the, the consequences that we're seeing. Again, talked a minute ago about the telos or the goal. If it's no longer the goal uh, of in education, not meaning a goal, meaning the primary goal uh, as, as good character formation, moral development, uh, that from the very first day, students are learning how you speak to someone who's older than you, how you interact with a teacher or an administrator. If that's not a goal, we can't then be surprised uh, what we're seeing on, on, you know, some of these TikTok videos or some of these things that are captured on Twitter. And, and some people watch this and it's, and it's shocking, but some ways, Michelle, it, it shouldn't be shocking. And we, we have uh, robbed these kids of the kind of moral formation and character development. I think that they need. Moral formation and character development. It is, it seems to me in short supply. Uh, it's, it's, and we got to, I agree with you that we got to get back to it. The question is how we're going to discuss that when we continue. Well, you may have never thought that you'd hear this in your lifetime, but um, a food shortage could be coming even in the U.S. At, and that's according to economic experts. That's a recent bit of writing. That's why survival food, hear me out, is more important than ever. You can create a stockpile because if you remember during the pandemic, there were things you couldn't get. And if we have another one of those or any other kind of crisis here in America, which doesn't seem that outlandish to me anymore, um, you may want a food supply. So you can create your own stockpile of the best selling for Patriots survival food kits. This is not ordinary food. We're talking good for 25 years, super survival food, handpicked right in a family-owned facility in the USA and giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, stackable, so you can keep, keep them in your pantry, in your basement. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, and you can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. All you have to do is add boiling water, simmer, and serve. And right now, you can go to 4 use code MICHELLE, that's Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous year-long guarantee after you order, plus free shipping on orders over $97. They're called Four Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. We love that. Just go to fourpatriots.com, use the code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, to get 10% off. That's Four Patriots. It's the number four, patriots.com, code Michelle, 
start building your own stockpile. Start today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So you referred to the C.S. Lewis book and this ability to see forward where we were going. How, how, why did we decide as a society to degenerate instead of make sure that people are happy and solid in their values and um, looking for, for peace and contentment and virtue and character and knowledge? Yeah, I think it happened so slowly that most people didn't realize it was happening. I mean, this transition happened over an entire century. And so if you were living through it, you might have only noticed that your your classes in classical languages was disappearing or your class in ethics was disappearing uh, or, you know, logic or, or your class in rhetoric was disappearing. But this so, were they disappearing by design? In other words, were they disappearing because we just stopped slowly stopped valuing them? Or was there something more nefarious at work here? Were, that, were yeah. teachers unions, were public schools saying, you know, we'd rather teach something else rather than ethics or music or whatever? Such a great question. Uh, and so a book that has kind of been all the rage uh, this past year, uh, The Battle for the American Mind, uh, Pete, Pete Hegseth and David Goodwin over uh, at Fox News. Um, this book came out in, in July or August. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for about 10 weeks, actually. And they absolutely make the case this, that this was by design. Uh, and so essentially, there are basically four main levers that control mainstream education. And those levers are first standardized testing, uh, which CLT is, is here trying to, to, to kind of break that stranglehold, then teacher certification, uh, and then school accreditation, and then control of public funds. And if any group uh, gets control of all four of those, then they're going to have almost total control of education. The case that Pete and David make uh, are that you had not just uh, center left, but that a kind of a fringe element of, of early 20th century's progressives were very intentional with capturing all of these elements and, and being able to kind of have their will with American education. You know, um, this is interesting because, and I'm looking this up while I'm talking to you, because if I'm not, uh, let's see here, um, in here in Minnesota, where I reside, there uh, is this new thing that if you want to be part of the professional educator licensing and standards, um, and in order to be a teacher in Minnesota, you have to sign some sort of, or take some sort of education about how you are going to work on implicit bias and understand that about white supremacy and, and racism and all of this, that it's something that teachers have to sign off on 
in order to become a certified teacher in the state of Minnesota. And I, I would assume that there are many who are going to say, yeah, I don't believe this, but I want to be a teacher, so I'm going to just sign it. In other words, they're going to be coerced sure. because yeah. they want their certification. And there are going to be some who are right in line saying, I totally believe this, and they're going to sign it because they want to. But those who don't believe this or who don't want to sign it but are going to just go, eh, that's fine. I want to be a teacher. I'll just sign it. This is a really slippery slope, isn't it? It's a very slippery slope. And, you know, uh, Michelle, someone I listen to uh, pretty frequently, his podcast is John McWhorter, uh, who is an NYU yes. professor. Uh, and one of his books that I would recommend for your audience is his book, Woke Racism. I believe the subtitle is How a New Religion is Capturing Young America and Hurting the Black Community. And he makes the case in the book that, that what you know, we would call wokeism uh, is a, a new religion. What you're talking about, in some ways, is very similar to a statement of faith that a teacher might sign to teach at a Catholic or Christian school or a Catholic or Christian college or university. Uh, you know, that you agree it is forcing ideological conformity. And, you know, another another one I would borrow from is Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt is uh, the author of The Coddling of the American Mind. And that, that he argues that this is against the traditional ends of the university, which is the pursuit of truth rather right. than social justice, uh, and that you can't do both. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I would I would agree that you can't do both. So I, I found this article, um, and I want to and I want to read it to you. Okay, the document in question is states that teachers must cultivate quote opportunities for students to learn about power, privilege, intersectionality, and systemic oppression in the context of various communities, unquote, and mold their students to become, quote, agents of social change to promote equity, unquote. In addition, teachers are told to learn and understand the impacts of, quote, systemic trauma, unquote, and how racism and quote, micro and macro aggressions, unquote, contribute to adverse learning outcomes. Um, this is really troubling to me. My mom was a public school teacher and she never had to sign anything like this. She did a fine job teaching Spanish and math in high school and junior high school. I realize that's just one story, but I don't understand how this advances anything but division and um, feelings of anger and resentment. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and Michelle, and essentially, and, and I actually avoid usually trying using the word wokeism because I think it short circuits the conversation. What we're talking about is actually a narrative framework, right? And so traditionally in, in America, I mean, look, almost all education was Christian education in America until the beginning of the 20th century. And there is a narrative framework to that as well. And Christian schools, Catholic schools have this narrative framework. And it's essentially, you know, a creation, fall, redemption framework that they're viewing the world. And that's the overarching narrative. You can't just remove the narrative and think that no other narrative will come in. And so the narrative that has been imposed and now is being uh, imposed with a heavy hand is a Marxian narrative, right? That the main framework that we view the world through is an oppressor 
oppressed kind of framework. And this is what we call critical race theory, CRT, uh, and it is our, our wokeism uh, as well. Uh, and it has absolutely permeated every aspect of not just higher ed, but K-12 education as well. It, there's no question. And anyone who's in denial of that needs to sort of pay closer attention. And again, you, you describe this transition as being sort of like the frog in the boiling water. You yeah. put a frog in a pan of room temperature water, you turn on the heat and slowly, 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 degree by degree, that water is able to kill that frog and he doesn't even know it yeah. because it's happening so gradually. And I feel like I feel like this is what's happening. I want to talk a little bit more about AI and where that fits into education. This is a piece you wrote for the Wall Street Journal right after this. Thank you. It's so hard to avoid the topic of money because it, it really is the center of all that we do. It's the center of commerce. It's the center of our budgeting. It's the center of our retirement planning. It's all about money, right? And you work really hard for your money. You don't want to just give it away. And the stock market doesn't always guarantee you anything. So how to protect some of your money and keep it for your future. You can stick it under the mattress or you can put it in precious metals. And I would recommend you talk to Legacy Precious Metals. It's like taking your money and tucking it away into a nice little bed where it grows, grows more than the dollar was. It protects against a weakening dollar and it's a hedge against inflation. So why wouldn't you put some of your retirement money into gold and silver? Talk to Legacy Precious Metals and the sooner the better. I mean, you remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw nice gains and others simply lost their retirements. So investing in gold is a proven way to protect your long-term money. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. You can also download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Again, call them, speak to an IRA expert, get all your questions answered, or go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. Jeremy, one of the things that's coming into education is AI, artificial intelligence. <laughs> so I'm, I'm laughing because some could argue that most of the intelligence in America right now feels artificial, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, students are able to just kind of just punch in or say a few words into this, this AI software that we have now i i'm i'm, yeah. I'm showing how ignorant i am of the whole thing what's that have you used chat gpt yet i have not used chat gpt i will not use chat gpt it's it's okay i, I don't know what gb what does gbt stand for do you know it's a it's a uh, it's a general processing system for language is essentially what okay mean. all right so basically you can spit out a term paper or anything else you want oh yeah and as you as you make clear in the article, okay, well, we clearly we've got to find an algorithm to develop to see how what these kids are doing and, and make sure that they're not just turning in artificially intelligent artificial intelligence produced documents. Well, it's just going to go back and forth with these algorithms. It's like it's like two coaches and defensive coordinators figuring out the other one's offense and yeah. and deciding how to counter it. So I feel like the toothpaste is out of the tube here. What what do we do? 
Well, and, the, and the, that's a great analogy, Michelle. And there's no possible way to put to put the toothpaste back in the tube, uh, of course. And that, that's why it's a fitting analogy. Uh, look, AI is not going away. It, it's here to stay. And students, uh, if they haven't already figured this out already, they're rapidly figuring it out. Uh, schools are doing emergency kind of assemblies. And, and, and what can they appeal to at the end of the day? They have to appeal to a moral compass. They have to appeal yes. to an ethical reason not to do this. And I think, and I, I wish I could have had, you know, twice the space for the Wall Street Journal article, uh, because it's not just about the writing component here. But again, it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning, this telos or end for education. In a world with, with AI that is going to become increasingly um, sophisticated, increasingly nuanced, increasingly hard to detect, uh, the most valuable uh, aspect of being human is precisely uh, the human moral compass, precisely the human conscious, uh, knowing right from wrong. And that is what separates yeah. not just humans from animals, but humans from AI at the end of the day as well. Okay, that's a great point. Artificial intelligence has no moral compass. It doesn't care if it cheats. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't care. Yeah. So yes, I, and, and it doesn't, you know, people will say, Oh, you're going to impose your Christianity. It doesn't have to be. It, it could be any religion. It could be no religion. It's this idea of being ethically, morally balanced and, and focused. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of studying stoicism and it's all about those virtues of courage and morality and, and justice and fairness and, and, uh, and not, um, spitting out a paper through through AI. Yeah. One of the things you you know you say Socrates never wrote a term paper and that it would be so wonderful <laughs> if education these days didn't rely on this stuff but instead teachers could gather their students in conversation and and learn and exchange ideas. But that doesn't seem to be in existence much these days. Maybe in some places but certainly not in public education. Yeah, and, and one other note with, with this, you know, chat GPT goes both ways. And I, and I would be willing to bet anything that teachers already, I've been a public school teacher. I've had 200 kids, you know, in, in five different sections before. So much to grade. You can, you can copy and paste the student's electronically submitted paper into chat and say, provide comments and feedback, and it'll provide a whole host of comments. And oh, my gosh. The so the teachers can use it in order to streamline oh, yeah. their grading? Yep. And so and so, have we already had students submit a fake GPT paper and the teacher provides fake GPT responses? I would be willing to bet that has already happened, right? Uh, I mean, it is really, really brainless. So I could understand this topic being really overwhelming for a lot of parents who love their kids want their kids to fulfill their potential intellectually, morally, all, always. They just wait. They want the best for their kids. They want their kids to have a future of happiness and prosperity and productivity and be good, happy citizens. And they're thinking, oh, well, crap, this is the way it is. I guess this is the way we go. I mean, it's no turning back. As we've already said, AI is the toothpaste out of the tube. So it is what it is. This is the way we're going to function as a society. To them, you would say what? How can they go against that grain without well, too much yeah. trouble? I mean, it, it's actually already happening. I mean, there is an incredible explosion. There is a renaissance happening right now. You know, the, the CLT is, is a small component of a much larger classical renewal movement uh, that I think now is beginning. And in many ways, th thanks to Pete Hexeth and David Goodwin and uh, Fox News for, for making this exposed with kind of their megaphone over there. Uh, but look, 
we have gone from 13,000 homeschoolers in America to uh, well over 5 million in a period of 50 years. The most explosive growth in the past five has been among uh, the black community. And the greatest achievement gap in American education is that between black publicly educated students and black homeschool students, where on reading tests, the difference is over 40% in terms of reading comprehension between black homeschooled students and black publicly educated students. You cannot find a classical charter right now, be it Founders uh, or or Valor or Greatheart or whatever it may be, that doesn't have a massive, massive wait list. Uh, There are hundreds of classical Christian schools that are launching every year. Many Catholic schools are going back and they are re-embracing their their foundations, uh, which is the classical uh, tradition. And so, we're living through a radical disruption. And the fact that it's happening in the mainstream media does, I mean, look, the downturn in enrollment in New York City public schools, in Los Angeles public schools, uh, this is a story the media doesn't want to report, but it is absolutely happening. And I think that we're just at the very beginning of it. Why doesn't the media want to report this in your estimation? Yeah, you know what? I, I think that the media in many ways, you know, nine out of 10 journalists are of one political persuasion. I think we all know, you know, what that is. And, and look, if you are uh, a Democrat, there's not a whole lot of reason to be upset with mainstream education. 99% of union dollars that support political parties goes to the Democratic Party. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a story uh, that they want getting out there. <laughs> And, the, and, you know, this notion of school choice is another one that they, they turn away from for the, I, I would argue for the same reasons. I mean, I knew the answer when I asked you why. I just wanted to hear you say it because I, I believe that too. I, I believe that school choice is something that people want, are in denial about. Yep. They will say, oh, it's only, uh, benefiting the elite. You're redistributing wealth among students. No, if the dollars follow the student, that, that doesn't, then, then class sizes could be smaller at public schools, which I think would be a good thing for public schools, make them more competitive. Why are they afraid of competition? What an interesting question. And I, I have racked my brain about this. I mean, you know, you talk to your, your, your typical Democrat and they are in some ways enamored with the education and of many things that in Western Europe, right? Well, Western Europe, School choice is the reality for, for almost every country in Western Europe. You know, one of our, our leaders here at CLT, our vice president of partnerships, Soren Schwab, he grew up in Germany. Uh, and he said, yeah, I could have gone to a state school. I could have gone to a Lutheran school. I could have gone to a Catholic school, all publicly funded. The choice of where I went was my parents' choice to make. And that is why they're beating us in terms of, of education. Well, you know, it used to be one of our our highest standards here in America was to educate our children well. And I think you're right that some some of the levers got controlled by people who don't really care about the students. They care about a a philosophy, an ideology. Yes. Yep. That is, to me, uh, goes against the grain of everything that America is supposed to stand for. You know, the freedom to choose, yep. uh, all those things. And so it's, 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 it's mind-boggling to me. It bothers me. I, I look. I have the ability to send my kids wherever I'd like to. So, but I genuinely worry about every other kid in America who does not have that choice, and, and because I, I think about other people, it's it's not just oh, I'm just thinking about my house and on we go. I'm thinking about the country. I'm thinking about other kids who who need help, 
and they're not getting it in a lot of public schools. The, the achievement gap in the public schools here in Minnesota is ridiculous, and yet they want us to just throw more money at the problem, yep. which hasn't solved it in the past. Um, you know, I, 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 I could go on and on, sure. and I thank you for your patience with me, but I, I hope this is true. I was at a, a basketball game of my daughter's recently at a Catholic school, and the athletic director told me there we had we thought we were going to have to close our doors mm-hmm. and then covid happened and all these people wanted their kids in school so the catholic schools that stayed open got all this enrollment and so maybe there is a sea change even if it's for the wrong reasons i, I hope so I-, I would like to see that very much um yeah. in terms of on if, one last thing for you on the college level we see very little of the classical education we know about hillsdale uh, what what else? What other options are there for for young students who want a classical education at the college level? The, the, the graduates from a place like Thomas Aquinas College or the University of Dallas, Cedarville, Grove City, Colorado Christian University. I mean, it, it is a narrow band, uh, but there are are dozens, if not a hundred or more, options uh, where they're doing an education very much on par with what they're offering. Uh, at Hillsdale College. And I think employers, I, I was with a group of CEOs about a year ago, and we were talking about hiring people from, from places like Hillsdale. These students are qualitatively different than what the big state public universities are, are turning out right now. And employers are picking up on it. Uh, these students, these graduates from, again, University of Dallas, TAC, Hillsdale, they're in high demand, high demand for companies and parents are starting to catch on to that as well now. It's not just that you want your kid to get an education in truth, goodness, and beauty that they're offering, but practically, these are going to be some of the most employable college graduates in, in the years to come. It's a fascinating time to be alive, <laughs> and you can look at it in a, a, an abundance of ways, but Jeremy Tate, um, thank you for your perspective. I hope this movement toward classical education continues for every kid in America. Every single kid deserves a great education. And if we can't give it to them in the public schools, they ought to be able to go pursue it wherever the hell they want and where their teachers or their, excuse me, where their parents want, not their teachers, where their parents want. So uh, that is my hope. And uh, I'm going to continue to amplify voices like yours. So Jeremy, thank you so much. Michelle, uh, what an honor to to meet you and to be on, on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been Sideline Sanity. Don't forget, be brave. You can put your kid in another school and do good. Thanks for listening, everyone. Always a good day when Charles Thorngren of Legacy Precious Metals can join us and answer some really different questions. And I thought of a few new ones for you, Charles, if that's okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated and we hear so much about gold and silver and, and precious metals. So if I could just ask this broad question, what is the role of gold mm. in a portfolio? Great question. And when we look at that and the answer to that is, has a couple of different features to it. It depends on the individual, but its main purpose is the insurance policy for your finances. It is meant to be the foundation by which you do all other things, right? We know that gold and silver um, have an inverse relationship to the dollar. Um, it protects your purchasing power. So when we invest, that's what we're saying. We want to make sure that we have the ability to manage our money and have our money 
do what we need it to do for us. It's not the collection of dollars for dollar's sake, but for what it does for us, how we pay our bills, how we retire, how we feed our family, how we uh, go on and bless others and, and donate to causes we believe in. That's what money does for us. It's not the dollar itself. It's the thing it provides for us. And what gold does is make sure that that money continues to have purchasing value. Because there are times we find that, hey, my money doesn't have the same purchasing Absolutely. value it had last month. Absolutely. And this is a unique time. We're seeing it. I, I This term called hyperinflation, which usually refers to, you know, inflation in the 18s and 20 percent. I consider this a time of hyperinflation because it's so much more than what we're normally used to. Right. When we prepare and we budget and we say, this is the course of my life and this is how I'm going to do things. This is where I'm going to put my money. We use some basic numbers, two to three percent inflation. That's what the Fed says is good. But that's not even great. Over a lifetime, that's a lot of inflationary loss to your dollar. But when you have a period where it jumps to the points where we're at now, and we're in the eight and a half, nine is going to be into the double digits soon. In this shorter time frame, that's a hyperinflation situation to me because it throws everything off dynamically and so, so radically. You do, you do see us going into double digits, huh? Absolutely. Uh, the Fed even sees us going into double digits. You know, there was a, an interesting report where one of the, the Fed chairmen were saying, 2023, we're not going to talk about that. But in 2024, by summer, we may be able to start to drop the interest rates. When someone tells me they're in charge of something, but they say this new year that's coming, just forget about that completely. We're not even going to talk about that. That's a bad sign. <laughs> they don't want you to think about it. Exactly. They, don't, they want you to look past it and sort of ride it, ride it off right now. Just don't even think yeah. about it. It's going to be bad. But hey, 2024, though, you know, and interestingly enough, right around the time of an election, they want to start talking about what they're going to do. Isn't that fascinating? That timing is just really interesting. Before I we finish up here, I, I'm always fascinated with how gold is priced. How, how do we get a price of gold? You know, the spot price of gold is really determined by the world market. The London Bullion Exchange, right? And this has been for hundreds of years now, um, sets a price and the rest of the world revolves around that. Now, our currency will determine how much more than it is in the pounds and things like that. And there's a calculation for it. But that's one of the great things about gold and silver. Their value is recognized around the world. No matter what currency, what country you're in, it has value. Uh, I just recently come back from a trip where I was overseas not that long ago. And I bring gold with me everywhere I go. Um, not a lot. So don't try to catch me in the airport. Um, <laughs> but... I have something that is valuable no matter where I'm at. I can go anywhere in any country and turn that into its currency in no time at all. You're talking about carrying around physical gold? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Do you, do you, do you How walk much around is with safe dollars? to carry around if you're – well – no, you're right. Uh, so if and, – and that gold is going to have the same uh, value – across the board, no matter, no matter where I go, slight right? Because very slight deviations, yep. but it's not very large, okay. you know, usually less than yeah. 1% difference in the price. This is really interesting. I, I can't let you go before I ask you this. Cause I'm picturing you now walking around with some <laughs> you know, gold coins in your pocket. I'm thinking, wow, that would feel 
risky. But when you go into another country, for instance, with some gold, how easy is it for you to go say, here, I want to exchange this for, or, you know, I'm assuming you're not going to a restaurant and slapping down a gold no. bullion or something. No. But you could overseas. In certain places of the world, they recognize that just like regular currency. Wow. But I wouldn't use but, gold. But it's dinner. easy to ch exchange once you get to another country? Yeah. Just very easy. Most of the time you can do it at the airport, same places where they change currency. A lot of them will change uh, metals too. And is physical bullion the, the, the best way to go? It is. It really is. When you're traveling or always in any investment in gold? Uh, you know, there's certain things you can do outside of just bullion that may make sense once you've laid a portfolio down, right? Um, diversity in metals is important too, but your basis for all investments should be your basic bullion, whether it's gold or silver. You want to have that foundation set in the base metal itself, giving you the most value that you can get. And obviously every person's situation is unique. So why not just call and speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or they can always download your free investor's guide, right? It's true. at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Do you have any gold on you right now? I do. Give me half a second. I got to see this. I just want to see. I mean, I, it's it seems like almost like in the old days when you walk around with that, you know, Mr. Scrooge and his gold coins in his pocket. Not that you're... Can you sort of turn it around and show us that? That's Now, for our listeners, they're not going to be able to, 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 to see what we're seeing, but you've got a little container and they're just, they're kind of the size of half dollars, right? Yeah. We're just about a half dollar. And this is, this is the American gold Eagle. And this is a uh, $22,000 worth of metal. Yikes. Charles isn't messing around <laughs> and neither are we, but please go get your questions answered. This is such an important time to be thinking about your money, your long-term play in addition to every short-term concern that you have. Charles, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And you know what? 2023 is coming. Call now, find out <laughs> so you can make your decisions for, before then. Yes. And before the elections again, yes. and they can tell us what they're going to tell us then. They're, they're telling you to overlook 2023. That means you now's the time to inquire. Absolutely. Again, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles Thorngren, always good to see you. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.